You may be seated. We're starting a new series today, and uh, I don't say this very much. I feel very scatterbrained this morning. I've had two weeks off of preaching. That shouldn't be, right? Uh, but I was just I was just struck as I was singing, like, I... I've been talking to Dr. John like every week for a long time, you know, and sometimes he'd say things I'd heard before, and that's okay, you know, stories that I'd heard before, and uh, I was just thinking that's that's going to be different, you know, and I was just kind of, when I heard on Thursday, that wasn't my first thought, my first thought was for the family, and then as I was singing this morning, I thought, it's going to be different, you know, and uh, yeah, so... I believe the Lord will use this time. I believe that. We're going to look at the book of Daniel this morning. And uh, as I prayed, I don't want us to look at Daniel. I mean, the, the, the problem with Daniel is we've heard most of these stories in a Sunday school setting. And bless the Sunday school teachers, but our familiarity with it can be like, yes, we've heard this story before. We know what happens. We, we, we know the lions don't get them, you know. We know the furnace doesn't consume the three. Like we, we, we know this, and so in, in, the de- in knowing the details, I want us to look at them freshly because I was reading, I was reading a book, I'd recommend it anybody to read it, uh, Thriving in Babylon. Some of you, how many of you have read that? I bet some of you have read that. All the youth ministry, yeah, they, they've read it. They've read it. What's wrong with the rest of you? Uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, Larry Osborne wrote Thriving in Babylon, uh, and uh, excellent pastor Larry Osborne is, and, uh, and writer. And, and it's just to look at Daniel and like, how do, you, how do you thrive in this culture that we live in? And I thought, man, I would love to preach through Daniel and, and look at some of those themes. But when I was reading the book, I noticed that there's some details that I just missed. And I don't want us to miss that. So let's take a look at Daniel uh, chapter 1, and then we'll, we'll dive in with this, okay? So turn to Daniel 1. If you need a Bible, they're in the seat in front of you. Daniel's a little bit after Psalms, a few books later. Okay. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, the treasure, and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. After that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission 
not to defile himself in this way. Now, God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the other young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate royal food. So the guard took away the choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel is written to a people in exile. It's written to a people to tell them, this is how you do exile well. This is what God does when you're in a culture that doesn't believe like you, doesn't live like you, isn't trying to be holy like you. This is what you do. So to be clear, this is the circumstance Daniel finds himself in. Judah has been overrun. Babylon has taken over. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he loots the temple of God. Now don't let this be lost on you because Nebuchadnezzar worshipped other gods. He didn't worship Yahweh. He worshipped other gods and he himself was treated as a god. So what we're saying here to an ancient people, if you were to look at this and, and, and try to say what's going on here, you, you would interpret this very simply. Nebuchadnezzar's god beat Israel's god. Th that's what they would have thought. Yahweh loses. They looted his temple. That's, that's his house with his things and they took him away and put it in the temple of their God. Did you catch that in the first verses? Uh, that, that's verse uh, 2. They put it in the treasure house of his God. That's, a clear, that's clear language for, you lose, we win, our God is stronger. And yet, and yet, Daniel and his friends really reveal the power of their God throughout this whole book. Who can interpret dreams and visions of death best? Daniel. So, so that, that's what's going on here. And, 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 then, and then, according to royal edict, it was their custom to take the best of the best of the young men. We want the best, the best looking, the smartest guys you've got, and we want to train them in Babylonian culture. Now that's a pretty smart move because, in a sense... Now you have Jewish people that are able to give advice to the king even on how to govern the Jewish people. Like, how do you deal with Israel and Judah? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, I can tell you this is how my people think. You know, so, so you're bringing in advisors to yourself. And you're bringing in the best of the best. So we can say of Daniel and his three friends that they were great looking. They were nobility. 
And they were incredibly smart. And they're brought in. And, and one of the things, um, they're deported. One of the things we don't know for sure, but I, I never heard this before, and, and again, Pastor Larry Osborne pointed this out, and I was really like, oh, I never thought about that. Um, Daniel is serving under the chief of eunuchs. Eunuchs. I mean, th- these guys that can't have kids. They can't have a wife and a family. And Daniel's serving under them, and it's, it's possible that he and his friends were also made eunuchs. So, so you're in a different country, and you probably don't have a family, and, and you're serving a pagan king, and you're reading pagan literature. How do you survive in that culture? How do you do it? How, how do you stay holy when everything else seems unholy? And I'm sure you can see the correlation to us in our country and the moral revolution that we have going on today where what was wrong ten years ago is now called right. We see this. How do you stay holy in an unholy culture? Now let me be clear. Holiness is not something... You can't just say, I want to be perfect and I'm going to try on my own power to do that. No, no. We sang about this today. Um, holiness is what God does. He's holy. And when, when you receive Jesus as Savior, I mean, let, let's make sure we know the gospel here, right? This is the most important thing. When you trust in Christ as your Savior, He makes you holy. We have a big word for that. Sanctified. Sanctified. He makes you holy. He makes you grow up to be like Him. But we want to cooperate with Him to be holy. I just want to talk about, from this chapter, what are some ways you can grow in your holiness? How can you be more like God who calls you and commands you, be holy as I'm holy? Follow my commands. Obey what I tell you. How do we do that? Uh, would you put up um, the uh, Hebrews passage? Yes. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for holiness. Strive for it. In other words, Again, holiness is a, is a work God does in us, but you've got to cooperate with it. You've got to desire it. You've got to pursue it. Part of it is what we would call positional. God makes me holy. And part of it is I'm growing in holiness. I'm looking more like my Savior, Jesus. I'm obeying Him better. And then look at Romans. Uh, Romans 6.22. But now you've been set free from sin. You know, you, you've been made holy. You've become slaves of God and the fruit you get leads to sanctification. There's our big word. It just means more holy, more, more obedient, more set apart. Holy means set apart. You're pure. And it's end, eternal life. You're going to have fruit that leads to sanctification. If God has changed you, if He's forgiven all your sins, then what that means is you become more and more sanctified. You become more and more holy That's why the Bible no longer calls you a dirty, rotten sinner. The Bible calls you a saint. Saint means a holy person. That's who you are. How do we get there? How do we we grow in our holiness? How do we grow in our sanctification? Daniel 1, I believe, gets at some of that. So I just want to share some ideas. I'm going to throw a lot of ideas at you. Uh, I hope maybe one or two are things you could circle, write down, and say, you know, this is something I want to work on and pray through in my life. I hope you hear something today that will help you as you try to be more like Jesus. Okay? 
So here's Daniel. Um, Daniel is in the best of the best of the best of the Jewish people. And so he gets brought in and they're feeding him food and wine from the king's table. And Daniel says, I will not defile myself with the king's food. I will not eat it. Give me vegetables. You know, give me water. Now, this has caused a lot of problems for people over the years. Like, why did Daniel say he couldn't eat Nebuchadnezzar's food? Why? I mean, if you were taken to a foreign land away from your family and your friends and the people you know, and someone put a buffet in front of you, I bet you'd eat it. But Daniel doesn't. Why? I want to give you a few ideas on maybe why. And I don't have the bottom, I don't have the final word on this. I was just reading this week, and there's so many reasons. Some are your Sunday school reasons, and some are different. So here's some of the reasons. Number one, uh, health benefits. Any vegetarians in the room? You know, uh, eating vegetables is healthier. And so maybe Daniel. And so when Daniel said, "Test us for ten days, we'll look healthier than everybody else if you give us vegetables and water." I like that answer because of the whole test for 10 days thing. There may be a problem with that answer because uh, we might be reading a little bit of 21st century vegetarianism into it. Possibly, maybe. Um, the Daniel diet, I know nothing about the Daniel diet, but, but there it is, right? Um, Daniel said, I'm going to write a book and start a diet. <laughs> okay, all right. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, all right. Um, Gentile food preparation. This one, I read, I read pages of riveting discussion on Gentile food preparation. Oh, my goodness. But let me boil it down for you. Was it kosher? You know, and that's what it boils down to. You, you know, there's Old Testament directives about not boiling animals in its mother's milk and things like that. In the old, you've read some of those, right? It's just a question of, did they prepare it according to the law? You know, the, the blood, there's, there's, there's all sorts of rules about eating blood and how that all works. And... And maybe Daniel just said, I, I've seen how you prepare this. Vegetables are pretty safe. How you prepare them is pretty safe. I, I was really very convinced of this. I, I thought that was a pretty good answer when I, when I was reading that, that riveting information. Uh, how about this one? Unclean food. I grew up believing this, and I still think this is a very good option. Maybe they were serving pork or other unclean animals that were in the Old Testament. God said, don't eat them, Right? I think that's a very good possibility. The only problem with that is, well, what about the wine? He didn't want to drink the wine either. So what was up with the wine? And then that leads you to, well, maybe it was food offered to idols. Maybe the meat and the wine and all the extravagant food was like, we bless this in the name of you know, Baal or, or some other local god. We bless this in the name of our god, Nebuchadnezzar. You know? and, and maybe Daniel was like, I'm not eating that. I'm not doing it. But then you go, well, wouldn't they bless the vegetables too? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, how about solidarity with Israel? This one's interesting. This would just be Daniel saying, you know what? My people are in exile. You've mistreated my people. I'm not going to eat your food. My people are in, in terrible straits, and you want to lay out a buffet in front of me? I will not partake in opulence while my people are hurting. That's interesting. Uh, and then there's the personal decision. This kind of goes with the last one, where Daniel says, you know what? I've got to draw the line somewhere. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to set myself apart. Kind of like 
Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Did Jesus have to fast for 40 days? No. God led him to do that. And so he was going to fast for 40 days. And maybe Daniel just said, the Lord led me and I'm not going to eat that stuff. I'm not going to do it. I, I, I have this conviction that God gave me. I'm not going to do it. I kind of land on the health. I kind of land on the Gentile food prep. I, I think there's some good stuff there. But uh, anyway, what, what I'm really concerned about that you understand is Daniel said it would defile him. I think that's where we have to land. And we have to say Daniel knew that if he ate that food and drank that wine, that it would pollute himself. That it would do something to his integrity and his character that it would dishonor the Lord. And he said, I can't do that. I have to be holy. I have to be different than my culture. At the end of the day, I can land there and I'm just fine. Holiness. No defilement. James 1.27, pure religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. One to look after orphans and widows, and the other, keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Don't let your culture ruin your character. How do you pursue holiness in a culture like this? Let me suggest three things. Number one, we need to recognize the risk of holy living. We need to recognize that there is a risk. Here's the thing. If you want to be holy and, and you start following God's Word, let me just tell you, there will be hard times. It, it will not be easy. It, it's just a guarantee. And, and Daniel wants you to know that going into it. This wasn't an easy thing for me. Uh, how about I do this and compare it to uh, a war hero that you all know, uh, John McCain, right? John McCain. He graduated fifth from the bottom of his class in the Naval Academy. Fifth from the bottom. He is the son of a, of a famous Navy war hero. I mean, famous parents, famous father, well-known. He's captured in Vietnam, and his captors are finding things out about them. They torture him. They got him because he crashed, and in crashing he broke, I think, both arms and a leg. Both arms and his leg. And his tormentors used his broken bones to torment him. And when they realized, we've got John McCain, the son of a famous... American. They thought to themselves and said, this is what we'll do. We will release you if you go back to your country and tell them we treated you well. We will release you. And John McCain said, I cannot do that. And so they kept tormenting him. Five and a half years, a POW. Half of that time, solitary confinement unimaginable, the pain and suffering. But he would not compromise and he would not say, my captors treated me well. That's integrity. Was he rewarded for it in this life? 
well, maybe later we, we recognize him and we tell stories about him even like today. But in that moment, five and a half years, that's a lot of risk. Just to say, I will not lie for you. Listen, to do what is right requires we risk. To be holy like God is holy requires risk. What did Daniel risk? Let me give you three different categories to think about and what you might risk if you want to do what's right in the face of this culture. You risk your relationship with people. Some people, even if, you're, even if you act holy in a very gracious way, in a very kind way, some people will conclude that you are not holy, but you're holier than thou. And they don't want to know you. They don't want to be around you. You make them feel guilty. You make them feel like they're the bad guy. They'd rather have you act like them and talk like them and laugh at the same things they laugh at. I remember the first time I laughed at a, a joke that was told in junior high. My friends, always, you know, my classmates would t- talk about things and it just wasn't, wasn't right. And uh, I remember the first time I went along and I was laughing and, and, and talking with them. First time I did that and I felt so wrong to do it. And then I felt even more wrong because the way they looked at me like they were so happy I was now part of it. I remember the look on their, I, I never forget the look on their face when I joined in. You can go the easy way, but you stand for holiness and people will cut you off. Daniel risked it. He's friends with the chief of eunuchs. And, and, and why risk it all? Daniel also risked his position. Because look, when you're nobility, like Daniel was, when you're the best of the best, and, and, and now you have your, your needs taken care of, you're, you're in the court of the king, why risk your position? When you're at work, why, why risk your job when your boss says, I just want you to fudge these numbers. I just want you to say this is how it went down. I just want you to do this. And you, I've talked to people, and even in... People have come up to me in the church and said, this is what happened and I had to stand for right and I lost my job. I've heard that story. I lost my job because I wouldn't do what they were asking me to do. That's holiness right there. And it's risky. Uh, you also ought to know that protection. You know, when the chief of eunuchs says to Daniel, uh, the king might not like, you know, that, that, that I'm doing this. You know, I, I, let's see, how does he say it? You know, they're talking and... You know, the king's going to want to know how this works out. Uh, let's just translate that into our, our lingo. The king's going to have me killed. You know, he'll have my head if, if you four look worse than everybody else. He'll kill me. How do you think he's going to treat you? We could probably read that into it too. How's he going to treat you if this doesn't go well and you're not as healthy as everybody else? Protection, ultimately your life. And again, we're coming into a day and age where to stand for what's right could result in a lawsuit. You read these stories. This is the country we're living in. There is less tolerance for different beliefs than there has been before. Protection. And so if you want to make a stand and be holy, you know, we've talked about this in the church before. I'll give you one example. You know, uh, I think it was last year we talked about, you know, would you bake the cake for the homosexual wedding? Would you do that? And I remember in cross-training, we, we, we had a, I thought a very interesting comment. I really, I really thought it was good. Um, that what, what if this is our answer to live in this culture in a holy way? Yes. You know what? 
I'm going to make this cake free of charge as an act of love for you because God loves you. And even though I don't approve of this wedding, God loves you. And because I've received forgiveness for all of my sins, and that was a free gift, I'm also giving this cake as a free gift. There it is. Now, some people have said, I can't do that, and I won't be any part of that. Don't get me wrong, I will never officiate a service like that. Don't get me wrong. I can't do it. My convictions won't let me participate in any way. I respect that as well. But you have to be ready for the lawsuit that could follow. For your stand that you're taking. And not bemoan it, oh, woe is me, what has happened to me? God's against me. No, no. If you stand for holiness, you're at risk. You're at risk in this culture. Secondly, um, so recognize the risk. Know what you're getting into. Don't go in blind. Number two, you need to reinforce your resolve for holy living. This is verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official permission not to defile himself in this way. And then God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel in verse 9. So you need to have resolve like Daniel. I am going to live a holy life. I've made a decision. And, and, and it won't come at you with like, oh my goodness, what is the huge decision today that God's going to give me to live holy? I can't, you know, how's that going to go down? I think for us, for most of us where we live, it's the hundreds of little decisions. Wouldn't you say that's true? The hundreds of little decisions. Will I do right in this circumstance? I think this is what we're faced with. You know, um, it's like, have a drink of water. It's holy water. It's clean. It's pure. And then, our, and then, and then what we're tempted by with Satan is, just add a little dirt. Just, just a little bit. I don't, I don't even want much. Just, just a, you can't even see that. I'm, I'm telling you, there's dirt in here. I can see it. But I bet you couldn't even see what was going into this cup and then to say, just, just take a drink. Take a drink. I mean, let's, let's face it. What are we talking about here with Daniel? It's food and it's wine. They're not saying recant your faith. They're not saying worship other gods. That's coming, by the way. You know that in, in the story of Daniel. That's coming. But they're just saying eat. It's just food. Just a small thing. I mean... Again, I think if we were at the table, we'd be like, well, I'm in a foreign culture, one in Rome, you know, one in Babylon. Partake. It's just, it's just a little thing. It won't kill you. It's not going to wreck your... It's just food. And what we do in our life is we say, I draw the line at anything unholy. I will not be a part of it because it's the hundreds of small decisions in my day that lead me down a path of holiness or unholiness. There's many of them. And I've got to make those decisions and I can't tolerate the speck of impurity. I can't go there. Now you say, I sin every day, Pastor. Well, I know that. There's forgiveness. I'm talking about, do you want to be holy? Do you want to grow in your holiness to God? Then don't tolerate the speck of dirt that's sprinkled in and say, well, I'll just ask forgiveness later. How, how did Daniel do this? How did Daniel reinforce his resolve? Let me give you some words to think about as you think about your resolve. Daniel had courage. 
I mean, you're going to somebody that answers to the king. You're going to somebody that has the power of life and death over you. And you're saying, I don't want to do what the king has prescribed for me. That's a recipe for disaster. You've got to have courage to say, no, I won't do this. And when it comes to your holiness, you're going to have to have courage. How about this? How much courage does it take to say, I've given into this sin for a long time. I'm going to confess it to a friend that's going to pray for me and hold me accountable. I'm going to reveal my sin to somebody. Courage. That's what courage is. In a very practical way in this culture, that is courageous. Because we love looking good on Sunday morning. Courage says, I'll take the risk. If you don't like me because I won't join in with what you're doing, I'm sorry, but I can't move. I cannot move. Then there's courtesy. Did you see what Daniel did? Uh, He asked permission. This is verse 8. He asked the chief official permission not to defile himself. Look at the courtesy. Look at the respect. I think one problem people have with Christians today is that we're offered the unholy cup and we're like, you know, no, don't do it. There was no water in it. Um, That was for you guys. (laughs) You know, that's what we do. We're like, never, don't let it happen. That's wrong, you know. And, And when we freak out on people and people are like, I don't want to be one of those Christians because... They, they, you, you, you say maybe they should lie and they, they go crazy. Could we be holy in a winsome way? In a courteous way? In a respectful way? Or do we have to stand up and, and be belligerent? And, and act like the, the world is ending because we've asked, been asked to do something wrong? Why can't we be like Daniel and ask permission? Now, I'd love to know what Daniel's backup plan was. You go home and talk about that at lunch today. You know, what would Daniel have done if, if, if the chief eunuch said, they're going to kill me for this. I'm not letting it happen. You eat your food and be quiet. What would Daniel have done? You know, you talk about that. But I love the permission, the courtesy. Let's use that. We don't have to be holy and crazy. Okay? Uh, and lastly, conviction. Uh, clearly, Daniel had conviction. You know, he... I won't compromise this. I won't defile myself with this. It leads me to think that he would have, if he drew the line, he wasn't going to cross it. You might as well kill me. I've already drawn the line. Do you let the Bible draw your lines or do you draw your own lines? That's my question for you. Are your convictions based in something that changes, like your own thinking, like the culture? Like, again, 10 years ago, our morality was in a much different place. Fifty years ago, our morality was in a much different place. Is that how it works for you? We make, a lot of, we make a lot of comments in this political season about candidates and how they've changed and waffled on different things and their understanding has grown and developed. Does yours need to grow and develop? Or do you read the Bible and let God tell you what's what? And you grow in that way. That's a firm foundation for conviction. That's where we go when we draw our lines. And finally, lastly, we get to reap the rewards of holy living. This is really good. I mean, what happened to Daniel? What were the rewards? How did God step in and help Daniel? 
Well, let me give you a few ways. So the first one was reap the rewards of holy. That third one was reap the rewards of holy living. How did God do that? Well, Daniel was a witness. He was a witness. For his people Israel, they could see a man take a stand and say, I won't go any further. It was a testimony to everybody. It was a testimony about what was good, you know, vegetables and water versus the king's food. And, and, and he showed that there was wisdom there in doing that. I'll get to wisdom too in a second. But throughout Daniel's life, every time he takes a stand, everybody kind of steps back and goes, oh, your God's pretty amazing. Even Nebuchadnezzar later in this story is going to go, Yahweh is God. There's a witness when you act holy. And when, and when people say, why won't you compromise? Why won't you take the drink? And you say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. i got to be more like him. That's it. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Secondly, there's well-being. Um, well, Daniel and his friends didn't get killed, you know, and they looked healthier at the end of ten days, the test. Part of it's just your well-being. That, 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 and let me be careful here because holiness doesn't always lead to health. I'm not, I'm not making an equal sign there. I'm just saying that God taking care of things in your life when you're living in a holy way, even if it's joy in the pain, right? Even if it's joy in the pain, God is taking care of you and your well-being when you take a stand and say, I will live for you. And that's what he did for Daniel. And then finally, wisdom. What you're going to see throughout the whole book of Daniel is, what, what is Daniel and his friends? They're ten times wiser than anybody else. That's the, that's the end part of our chapter here. They are ten times smarter than everybody else. That's verse 20. And, and I think that's just a figure of speech to mean they're brilliant, you know, and they're so much better. And, and, I, think, and I stand back and I say, Nebuchadnezzar in his power overran Judah, sacked the temple, took the treasure out, looks like our God loses, and yet our God is the one that can interpret dreams and visions. Our God has the deep wisdom to know how to do life better so that you'll be healthier after 10 days. Our God knows those deep things and He wants His people to know those things too. We're talking about that in a couple weeks. How God tells His people the deep things of life. And so Daniel, when you act holy, God says, okay, I'm going to show you more of who I am. I'm going to show you more how to live for me. I'm going to give you understanding into the deep things. If you can be holy in the small things, then when a really hard situation comes your way, and you say, how am I going to deal with that? God says, I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you wisdom. Like I said, we'll do more on that later. But let me just say, I hope that as you've listened to this message in chapter 1, you've thought, you've heard something that will help you, like, this is how... I could walk in holiness in a greater way. That I could be more like Daniel and see the Lord empowering me in some pretty awesome ways. Worship team, would you come up at this time? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we want to be holy as you are holy. So would you do that work in us? And would you help us cooperate with you? Help us have Strong resolve. Help us not to compromise. 
And as we do it, we just want to keep seeing you show up. Keep seeing you bless. Keep seeing you act on our behalf. Give us favor with our culture. I think that's a huge prayer request today. That our culture would be able to look at our life, the life of the church, and be impressed with the wisdom by which we live our lives. And say, I want that. Because we know our culture is morally bankrupt. We know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And that he has infected every human being. And we can only become free of that by giving our life to you and receiving your forgiveness. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.